As we explore a life app that accompanies this teaching, we can start with the fact that our life practices can be built from the example of Jesus, who persevered and stuck with his commitment for each and every one of us while he lived and died on earth, and today while alive in heaven awaiting us. I want to call this life app the Stick E app. Let's start with the S, which stands for the setting of goals and milestones. One thing I've learned in my business and personal life is that whatever we imagine the time will be to get something done, it's going to ultimately take more time to successfully hit dates, times, and expectations. So we need to set realistic goals and timelines. I tell young entrepreneurs who are building their business to plan on revenue taking twice as long to build to half of what you think it's going to be. What this does is it sets the expectations in an achievable way for sticking with goals and objectives. The T is about understanding and accepting the lesson of threes. We can make it easier to stick through with what we've committed if we go into the year acknowledging that we're going to have three rough months, three bad weeks, and three really, really, really hard days. It would be great if these would come sequentially, but they don't always. But it helps that when we look back and say, yep, those 90 days, they added up to three rough months, and so on and so on. Putting things in perspective for making the rest of the year look pretty good and survivable. The I stands for the increasing of our endurance level. I like to keep my weekly long run endurance level at about a singular 10 miler. What this allows me to do is go run a shorter 5K or 10K race whenever I want. And if I want to train for something longer, I'm ready. And so it can be in work and life. If we know that we have the increased endurance level for a certain amount of work or travel or creativity, productivity, emotional capacity, even time, it's then that we are better equipped to know what we can or should take onto our plate and just as importantly, what we shouldn't. The C is about courage and character. It takes courage to start something. But let me tell you, it takes character to follow through with the commitment in the right way. I read a quote somewhere in a novel where the protagonist was encouraging others to fight through their struggles, and it was said something like this. There are those who never make it to the starting line. There are others who quit because of their weariness. And then there are the rest of us. It's motivating when we consider that we have exercised courage to start and have the character to fulfill our commitments in a way that makes us and others around us better. The K in Sticky is knowledge. A favorite elite runner and Olympian of mine, Dina Castor, says that one of the success factors of finishing a race strongly is running within the mile you're in. Now, what she means by this is having the knowledge at all times of where you are in the race and then focusing in on where you are now versus thinking about the past or worrying about the future. And the final part of our Sticky Life app is the E that stands for the extra mile. At the beginning of this, I said, set the goal for longer than expected. Jesus told us that we are to go the extra mile in all that we're asked to do, proving our commitments and our follow through. So that's our Stick E Life app. May God be with you in each and every commitment that you make. So there was a point in the ministry of Jesus, and you can see there's a passage in there from Luke 14, but there was a point in the ministry of Jesus 
where he was very popular, and very popular. I mean, people were just talking about him. He was almost a celebrity of sorts in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Galilee. Everybody was talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And he had developed, uh, he had his own disciples, but he had also developed quite a following. And there came a point in time where he started saying things that um, were bothersome. And they, not only did they bother the people that Jesus was talking to, but they started to bother even probably his own disciples. Because initially, everybody was excited. The disciples were absolutely excited, like we would be, to be part of something that appeared to be so successful. I mean, everybody was interested. It seemed like there were masses of people following Jesus, and they were following him for a variety of reasons, things that he did, the healings, his words were different. Uh, he was speaking things that were moving people's hearts. But there came a point where Jesus started to shift the way in which he talked. And he started to actually, it was like the most opposite thing you would do if you were trying to run a, a marketing campaign to build brand momentum. He actually started talking about things that were almost like confrontational. And uh, he did it because he sensed that there was a real fickleness to the people who were following. That there was a lot of different reasons why they were following. But he, he had this, this real understanding that, that their, their real commitment was very thin that as soon as things didn't go the way they were thinking, they would disappear, melt away. And so he really made a decision to, to, at a key place in his ministry to challenge people about what it meant to follow him. And on one occasion he said this, and I'm going to put this up because uh, this is when he talked to them about taking up a cross. And he said, if anyone's going to come after me, you're going to need to take up your cross, and you can put this up, they'll put this up on the screen. You take up your cross in Luke 14, 27, and follow me. If you cannot bear your cross, you cannot be my disciple. And that again was an interesting statement. We read this statement and I think that a lot of us go, oh yeah, the cross, you know, whoever cannot bear his cross cannot come after me. I, I don't know if we really appreciate the polarization and the kind of emotion that would have been connected to that statement. The fact that Jesus refers, we think of a cross today, I mean, a lot of times many of us identify that cross as, as we should with the love of God who gave himself for us. Crosses are on tops of churches. Nowadays, lots of people just wear crosses as ornaments and, you know, uh, around our necks. People, some of people use them as good luck charms. Uh, crosses are everywhere. They're ubiquitous, right? They're jewelry for most people. But in their day, to a Jewish audience, they didn't have, there, there was no such thing as like people wearing, that, in their day they knew when, when, when someone mentioned a cross, it was a very vivid thing. It was extremely uh, jarring. Because at that time, in that era, the Jewish audience that Jesus spoke to was well aware of how the Romans used the cross as a tool for capital punishment. They had borrowed the practice from the Assyrians. They had, if I can say it in a perverse way, had perfected it to extend dying out and to create um, something that was designed to be a warning to anyone who crossed paths against Rome. And so it, it, the people had witnessed, and Jesus, of course, himself was going to be put on a cross. People had witnessed the brutality of Roman justice. And so when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to need, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. I mean, that was like a... Okay, it would be as if he, somebody said to me, uh, or said to us, unless you are willing to 
unless you're willing to pick up your cross, unless you are willing to sit on an electric chair or stand in front of a firing squad, you cannot be my follower. And that's the intent, again, think about the intensity of what he was saying. And it was jarring. And they would have, it's like, surely, I, I can imagine the disciples saying, even though they weren't going to question Jesus, they were probably going, come on, Lord, why do you have to bring up that? That's like, that's like the worst thing you can say if you want people to actually, everybody's excited, why do you have to talk like that? I mean, can't we just focus on the positive? And honestly, if you're a casual observer or an ambitious apostle, um, you would have thought, well, that's so unnecessary. Why use a disturbing symbol of death and suffering as a recruiting tool? Well, that's what Jesus did. And then to this mixed audience of the committed, the curious, the intrigued, and the now recently offended, Jesus said this. This is in your handout. This is the account that I want us to look at. For which of you, Jesus says, let me tell you something else. Let me, actually, let me ask you a question. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the costs, whether he has enough to finish it, that's after he has laid the foundation, he's not able to finish. And everybody who comes by sees that incompleted structure, says, this man, this man began to build and was not able to finish. It's a testimony to your foolishness. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him. With 20,000, once he assesses that he's at a disadvantage, he's going to say, wow, while that person, while the, while the larger army is still a long way off, he's going to send a delegation. He's going to ask for conditions of peace because he can already see he's going to get overwhelmed. Jesus says, so who likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whoa. It was almost like Jesus was saying... You cannot be a true follower of mine if you're not willing to reorder your life. It's as if Jesus was saying, this is no small matter, no trivial detail. Weigh out what you're doing. Weigh out what you're doing because it won't work right if you don't. Following me is a dangerously beautiful thing. And it will sure you, surely cost you something. Oh. So before you launch out, that's what he's saying, and commit to my cause? Ask yourself if you are willing, truly, truly willing to follow through, come what may. That's what I'm asking you. And he was, now, Jesus wasn't making an appeal, in, all, in fairness. There were other times when Jesus talked, this is important too, there were other times when Jesus talked where he talked about the, the blessing of coming to his, into his kingdom. He talked about the promise of life beyond this life. He talked about the abundant life, the overflowing life, the way life really works. He talked about the, the promise of joy and the promise of a relationship with the Heavenly Father. He talked about how God would take our lives and radically alter them and take the things that were sometimes the most painful places and bring good from them. He, Jesus talked about all the advantages of coming to the Lord in our brokenness, how we would not be turned away how he would never leave us nor forsake us, that if you walked with him, the shepherd, you would never be abandoned. He talked about these things all the time. He made positive appeals. But in this case, it was like he was saying, in this particular incident, he was saying, look, before you sight on the dotted line, don't do it so fast. I want to tell you exactly what you're signing on for. Whoa. Now, 
when we look closely at this, we push, push it, you'll see that there's at least a couple of principles then, right? I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I just want to note them because they're going to take us somewhere. You can see the first principle, which is the principle of counting the cost. We're not going to spend a lot of time there except to say that Jesus was reminding them, don't just do this thing half-heartedly. Secondly, you can see the principle on top of that that has to do with the king who's assessing whether or not he's going to be able to actually win a, a pitched battle. And that's what I would call the principle of disengagement, where there are going to be times when some situations in our lives when we almost have to shift our approach and settle for a less than ideal alternative. That's, that would be wisdom. But then there's also a principle, and it goes all the way back to the tower reference. That's what I want to call the principle of completion, and that's the one that I really want to settle into because it has everything to do with perseverance. Okay, what was he talking about, about the tower thing we just read at verse 28 there? What did that mean? In Jesus' day, there were vineyards. In the vineyards, there were these structures, often that were built. They had a large foundations. On them were built a tower. The tower was designed to be able to look out in all directions. That tower, which I still think is in different ways, exists today. Lookout points. You could see if there was a thief. You could see if there was a fire that was breaking out. You could see if there was a fox in the vineyard. Uh, basically, it gave you a vantage point. But there were times where there would be these structures, and people would have seen them all the time, where somebody had started to build something in the middle of a field, but they either had run out of money, an economic downturn, the crop didn't come through. For whatever the reason, they started this endeavor. You could still see the foundations of the structure, but they never completed it. The tower was a testimony to their uh, inability to complete the project. Not unlike when we're walking down the street or something or in the neighborhood and we'll see something like this will happen. We had this happen in our uh, backyard, actually a little bit in the, in the, in the other side of the block where we lived. I could, there was a house that was, it, it was started to be built and then the, the project, for whatever the reason, we have no understanding why, just totally halted. And all you saw there for about a year was a half begun project. And you'll see that from time to time. There could have been a variety of reasons. It could have been codes, it could have been finances, no margin, whatever. The point being is this was not something that, what Jesus is saying is don't start something if you can't finish it. He's saying there's a principle there. So I want to, I want, and then this, I want to take this and just quickly put some principles out that I want to suggest have to do with the fact that the Lord does not want us to have unfinished towers in our life. We don't want our life to be filled with a bunch of unfinished towers, to use the analogy. There, there is something about prevailing in our commitments that speaks of God's work in our lives. Let me, let me put some principles up quickly, and we'll just sit with them, because there's somewhere else I want to go, but I want to move this way first. I want to suggest that something else that Jesus is teaching us here is that success usually begins on the front end of things. You can see how he's laying out these principles. One of the things he talks about here is how we begin, how we prepare matters. A lot of times we jump into something, but we didn't prepare for it. We didn't, Jesus is very, you know what I, I see here? Jesus is very concerned about the beginning. The beginning matters to him. And think about a structure. When the foundation is laid, that sets the thing it sets so much up. If the foundation is sound, you can build on it. But if it's off, and we're seeing that as well in the city these days. There's this clearly on the newspaper you saw it a few days. I saw it was the problem with the foundations. 
and the entire structure now is in, is in jeopardy. Lawsuits are flying everywhere, right? But part of it has to do with how we begin matters. Right behind that, second principle, every good, truly good and worthy endeavor will inevitably be tested by adversity and resistance. This is something that I've come deeply to believe when you are trying to pursue something of value in your life, certainly at a spiritual level, do not ever, ever, ever think um, that it's going to only be easy. Nothing of quality is, is just easy. It, it costs something. That's what Jesus was getting at. That's what he was really saying. So if you really want to follow me, you understand. It's the greatest thing ever. It's free, but it's not cheap. It's going to cost you something. By the way, you said it's free. It is, but it's going to cost you something. I look at that and I go, Lord, there are times where you're going to, we're going to, in the process of trying to work through things, you're going to, you're going to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to ask ourselves, you know, um, can I sustain this? Because we're going to get pressure. We get pressure. When pressure hits, what do we do? Do we quit? We're going to talk about that. When we're, when we are trying to build something of value, we are going to experience some type of resistance. What we do in that adversity is huge. Uh, I, can, I can only say that I look back on the, the year that I had, and it was filled with, I had so much adversity about two years. I was so hard, but there was so much to learn. There is, there is adversity. In fact, when I get to the, Lord willing, when we get to the beginning of the year, uh, I'm really that focus on that idea of growing through adversity. If there are people, and I've mentioned this already, there are people that you've been, praying for or you think have been walking through things in life and don't have the tools and the equipment to know how to move through that adversity or they're experiencing, this would be a perfect time. You should already start praying for people who you think might benefit from learning how to move through adversity in their lives. Because what we're going to do is we're going to zero in on how to grow in that place. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it too, a little bit later in this lesson as well. But I want, to, I want to throw in one more thought here, and that is this, that Jesus teaches us there's a unique satisfaction and joy that comes when we see things through. I think we understand that, right? I mean, everybody kind of knows what it's like to finish a, a short-term project, a task, a report. Clean, even cleaning something can have a sort of satisfaction in it, a hike, a workout. You finish that. It feels good. It's even better to finish something that you've been pouring your energy into for years. And that's why people love graduating. Right? It's like, yes. And everybody's happy, throwing their hats up. I mean, it's special time because why? Everybody feels like, I did it. I accomplished it. I completed this. There's a joy and a satisfaction. If you think about it, that's the way God wired us. Even God, the creator, we bear the creator's image. It says in the book of Genesis that when God finished the creation, it says that he looked upon it with satisfaction and said, it is good. Now, God did that, and it reminds us that a lot of times we run past our blessings, and I can say I'm as guilty as anyone at times, maybe more, and we don't pause to say, oh, that was good. That was good. We're on to the next thing, but maybe every now and then we need to mark the moment. Some of, some of us are really, I mean, really good at marking things, and you celebrate that, and you honor what was done. That's a good thing. I think overall, speak, you want me to tell you another example? Is there any better example than Jesus? 
His was in utter pain when he said, it is what? Finished. It is finished. He completed. He completed his assignment, if you will. He, he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Hebrews, it says that for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? The joy of pleasing the Father, yes. And the joy of seeing how many would be able to follow him through the very jaws of death into life through his own giving of his own life. That joy and that satisfaction, it is finished. It is done. That produced this whole new thing, new possibility. The idea of completion. Finishing is a poor, oh, and one more thing on this, just while we're at it, here's the fourth reason. Because both quitting and finishing become habitual. The more we quit on things for the whatever the reasons, it tends to become easier to quit the next time. Which is why, as a basic life principle, I've tried to train, train my kids just to not quit on things. And there will be times where, and I've tried to encourage the church, and I've tried to live my life that way too, partly because I say, Lord, even if I've got myself into something that probably I shouldn't have committed myself to, I'm going to go ahead and finish this up because then I will remember how bad I feel for doing it in the first place. And the next time around, I won't commit to this anymore because I'll remember what I felt like having to finish what I just committed myself to that I wasn't supposed to commit myself to in the first place. And so, in other words, what we do is a lot of times the real reason to finish something, even if it's not a worthy thing sometimes, and I'm not talking about stuff that's clearly just not good. There's all kinds of reasons to stop something. But I'm talking about when we, when we feel like, you know what, I've lost my passion, or hey, they kind of, I just had this conversation. I was having this conversation with my son. Saying, they, they kind of misrepresented this. And I said, you know, I see your point, but I think principally speaking, you would do well to finish this right. Because it's always easy to use a just, find a justification for quitting. Quitting, we, we can always find a justification for it. Or at least a rationale, right? They're not doing this, or they said this. Or, but the, real, the reason a lot of times we need to finish something is it be, because I think it's, we start to become finishers. And it's not even sometimes the issue itself. It's what it does in us, either positively or negatively, when we quit or we finish. And a lot of times, some of us, we don't finish just the last 10%. We've got a ton of stuff there that is, if I can use uncompleted towers all over our lives. And we're just like, can you finish this up? Can we, you know what uncompleted stuff does? It creates stress. So that... If you have, we have all kinds of things that are, and I have more than a few, that are, we haven't really sealed off the ends. You get a number of those things flying around your life, you're walking with low-grade stress everywhere. There is a value in finishing things. Part of it is just the peace it brings when we can simplify the stuff. That's, anyway, we could sit here and go off a long time. But when it comes to when it, finishing, okay. But in order to finish, here's the connector. It requires perseverance because it's not always going to be easy. You'll see this uh, quotation that I have in the handout from a book called The Strengths of a Christian. This is, this is the word we translate, look at it, as patience or perseverance is a virtue by which a person is capable and becomes more and more capable, look at that, of keeping commitments. and speaks of the ability to remain true over a rather long haul to an ideal, a commitment, a mission, a person, a job. It's 
When such remaining true is difficult because of besetting temptations, adversities, there it is, discouragements, have you ever been there? Yes. And other changes of mood. A lot of times we just get tired of it or we're sad. Last night, I was already, I had a, my week didn't end, for some reason my week did not end great. You know, a lot of times people think pastors, they think they're the happiest guys on earth, right? <laughs> it's not true, to be honest. You know, someone was saying, yeah, you just like, your life is happy. You don't do anything. You like, you don't have to work. <laughs> you got to get one hour. Oh, wow. One hour a week. Anybody can do that. Right? And I'm thinking, okay, you really don't understand. And <laughs> I do remember, I had people ask me that and I guarantee you, they said, what do you, like, what do you do with all that free time you have? But I assure you, that there are not always times where it's easy, because not only on top of the normal stuff that just running a community essentially is, and, go, and the things that go into just even shepherding those who shepherd, but there's also the idea of trying to get the mind of the Lord and the vision for what we're supposed to be, reaching out, contending for people's souls, thinking about how to position things, dealing with nonstop conflict, because you know, as we talked about this, remember what? Every church, <laughs> there's no perfect church, right? Because we're all in it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, there's no perfect people. And so here's the, we all, there always are issues. And there's never a time, you know, and there are, but there are times where it's harder than others. And you know that in your own lives as well. Well, I was like, last week, I was, because, by the way, and this is very, just a little side rabbit trail, but I have seen over the course of 30 plus years, uh, I've watched a, a lot of pastors just burn out and go, well, you need to pray for your, your spiritual leaders, if at all possible, um, because there's, there's so much intense stuff going on all the time and uh, at multiple levels. I've, I've, I've watched them just burn out utterly discouraged. I've watched them burn out morally. There's such a pressure to set a good tone, to live a biblical life. That I've watched a lot of wonderful men and women just falter under the weight of that. I've I had that happen this last week with someone who is close. I just, I see that, you know, I understand that. And I'm trying to say is that I'm not, I'm not, don't hear me as one. I'm not, I'm not complaining. Just being honest that I came into this week. It was, a, it was hard. I got towards the end of the week. I was trying to get ready for this message. And I thought I came, I was, I was like, there were some things I was, that were weighing. There were leadership issues. There were some personnel issues. There were things that were on. There were things that were going on inside of me that I wasn't properly processing right. I could tell I wasn't. And it was bothering me. Then I came to preach this message last night. And I was feeling a little bit better. Then afterwards, I had a conversation with the leader. And then I was feeling a whole lot worse by the time we were done. And I was thinking, oh, wow, you know, uh, thank you for that wonderful report I just got. And now I get to go home and sleep really nicely, getting ready for the message tomorrow with all this stuff on my mind. I'm ha I'm, I'm not, I wasn't mad, believe me. What I was is I went home and I was like, Lord, what am I going to do here? How do I deal with this? And then... I went to bed and I could barely sleep. That's why I look so bad. That's why I say, just like that. <laughs> I could barely sleep. I'm thinking about this message. I'm thinking about what I'm having to deal with. And I come back in the morning, and I woke up in this morning, and early, pretty early. And I, all of a sudden, it was like a phrase came to me. You know what? You're so blessed. And I said, why? Because you get to experience the very thing you're preaching about. And I thought, you know, 
That's true, actually. Because you know what you're trying to teach us, Lord? That in every scenario that is challenging, there really is an opportunity. Where is that growth opportunity? I've been talking about it. Where is the opportunity by God's grace in the adversity? Where is it? Show me it, Lord, and then teach me how to position myself. And that's what I want to do in these last few minutes. How can we position ourselves to persevere when it's hard? Some of you are tired. You are very tired. Others, you're in pain or you're sad. You're very sad. There are things happening. Others don't know about it, but it's hard treading. What do we do there? Here's a couple of things that at least have helped me. I think can be a a principal blessing. One is, you hear me say it in different ways before, there are times when, we're in, when we are really feeling the pressure and we want to quit or run away or not finish our commitments when we need to shift into what I call the big picture thinking. We need to, we need to think in a bigger way. I'll have them put that up there for, for you as well. This idea of focusing on the big picture. When we sometimes we get stuck in the weeds and what happens is we start feeling the pressure. Have you ever, I know you felt it. I felt it. I felt it. Look, you start feeling pressure. You, you, if you're not careful, what happens is we start shrinking our world. Everything's, everything tightens up. Everything tightens up. We're just like getting beat up on each side. It's like I turn here, pressure. Turn there, pressure. I go back, pressure. Pressure, pressure. Everywhere's pressure. And then all of a sudden we start like closing down. When in those places... It's really important to expand ourselves a little bit and say, hey, you know what? This too shall pass. The Lord has promised. He's the one. He's taken me through things before. I'm going to get through this as well. This is a season. The key right now, I need to learn how to keep moving my feet, keep trusting God. I shall prevail. I'm going to claim your promises, Lord. I'm going to keep moving forward, keep my eye on you. Help me. Remember that in the big picture anyway, none of the stuff right now, I will, in the end, in the end, I leave it all behind. In the end. Jesus reminded us, have an eternal perspective. Don't get stuck. Sometimes we get so narrowed down, we're getting defined by everything. Remember, we have a great Savior, we have a great future. Things are going to turn. Let's keep positive. The Lord, I know that's a positive. Yeah, I do believe it, actually, because God says all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So why not? Sometimes we need to shift in the big picture. Other times, hear, hear me, there are times we need to shift into the, into the, our focus into a much littler picture. You know what I call this? The day, but we know this principle. One day at a time principle. What did Jesus say? There are times where we're going, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? I, oh, wow. What am I going to do? You know what? Narrow it down. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed is thy name, holy is thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day, right? It will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me enough for today. I'm not going to, fo- I'm going to focus right now at the beginning of this day on this day. I'm not going to go borrowing from tomorrow's trouble. It may get there, but you know what? It's going to be there either way. And I'm not helping myself. So right now I'm going to ask you for grace for today. I ask for great, help me with my attitude. Help me to, to reinforce my trust in you. Help me to believe that you are so merciful that even when I make mistakes, you can turn them around if I welcome you into the process. Help me not to be afraid of things because a fearful person cannot see things clearly. 
And you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. Help me, God, right now, because I am feeling pressure on each side. Help me right now. I trust you for this day, maybe. I trust you right now in this hour. Help me, Lord. And that leads perfectly into what I'm calling that third principle, which is this. There are going to be times when we're going to need to encourage yourself in the Lord. Some of you are going, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means there are times. I did, I did it last night. I said, Lord, this is hard. And right now, I don't like what's happening, and it just looks like more work for me. But you know what, Lord? And how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? You know what? I'm going to trust you right now. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust that you will not only show me a way, but you will also teach me in the way. There's things you want to do in my life right now. Encouraging ourselves in the Lord. I looked at that, and I go, God, when I want to, when I want to, what, what, sometimes when I look at that, I go, how do, how do I even, you know, I, the, one of the things for me that's been really helpful is I will, I will get the Bible, and I will t- open up the Psalms. This is one of the things I, I learned. I want to talk more about that, Lord willing, again, in the beginning of the year. But just the idea of writing out a Psalm can be so powerful and just say, as you read through it, because it's so real, there's very raw things in the Psalms. They talk about God's faithfulness and God's goodness, but they also talk about how I'm being hurt by this person, or I'm disappointed in you, Lord, or why isn't this turning my way? And yet it always comes back to the, the goodness of God, and it reinforces our trust. And there, So sometimes just writing something out in, in, of a Psalm and then saying, Lord, I want to claim this. I feel like you want me to claim this word within your word as my word for this season of my life or in this situation I'm in. I'm just going to hold on to it. That a lot of times it's just living off the example of Jesus. Look at this one. Last verse we'll look at. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. From the message, which has got a really unique way of approaching this translation, it says, do you see what this means? He's talking about the examples of people in the Old Testament. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we, we better get on with it. Strip down, start running. Somehow running the race of faith, persevering. And never quit. Don't quit. Keep with it. Keep with it. Keep with it. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins that just draw the strength right out of us. Lord, help me. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. He's the one. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again and again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through. And then I love this phrase. If you do that, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Who needs coffee? We got Jesus, right? We got the example. I love coffee. Okay, I'm just saying, we have the example of Jesus for our soul. If somebody says to me, this is how you do it, but I don't have an example. Someone says, do this, but I don't have an example. But we have an example. If we want to see how it's done, how you walk through things, how you endure betrayal, how you get past abandonment, how you finish your commitment, how you stay committed, steadfast, how you are able to hold that line in your life, that's the way of Jesus. 
That's the way of Jesus. He shows us how it's done. Last thing. I, I want to say it heading into this week. Because it's a good week. I mean, come on. We get a holiday that says to be thankful. That is so good. Choose to stay grateful, optimistic, and hopeful. That's a choice we make. And at some point, we get to decide that. We get to say, Lord, I know you're with me. I know I, I, know I can, where am I going to focus? I'll throw this last verse out there. In everything, by prayer and supplication, Philippians 4, 6, 7, with thanksgiving, let your heart, your request be known to God. Then the peace of God, as you share your heart with him, with all of the contradictions and all of its questions and all of its pain and all of the stuff, he will keep your heart and mind. Your heart and your mind will be kept. Man, the Lord wants to teach us how to do this, how to be people who can persevere. I'll, I'll, I was thinking about this. There are key people in my life that if they had quit when they were under intense pressure or quit on one another, I'm not sure I'd even be following Jesus. And then whatever, whatever I'm able to do on his behalf in some small, imperfect way would essentially be gone. Do you understand how inner, but they held their lines. When I was young, I never saw it, but as I got older, I started realizing, wow, they have problems. That was hard for them. But they held their line. They gave me something of stability. I'll tell you this. In the end, the people who impact us the most, you, for the best, are usually the people who keep their commitments. That's usually what happens. And all of us are an interrelated story. Okay, we could just go on and on and on. But we're going to pray together right now and close this time out. Lord, I want to ask you to help us even now, as we approach this, this season of thankfulness, to, to just be able to trust you in, in greater ways with things that uh, are sometimes hard for us, and to learn how to wrestle with that and to trust you in these places, because you're trying to grow us. Some of us right now, we have stuff. We've got to face it. We're going to have to deal with it. It's not easy. It's not always easy. Uh, but I thank you for the people who've given us examples. I thank you for your example. I do. I thank you for, for people who've been faithful to you and they've finished their race well. Not perfect, but they finished it. And you know what? We got that blessing. May we be that blessing for others. May we be for where we are now. Can't change what it was, but we can do a whole lot about what is now and where we're going. And I ask that you would be with us. Help us. Teach us to finish, to run well. This is what I ask to be faithful by your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. All right. Adios.